0: Copies of my outline Uh, if uh, Thank you Helios if you need a pen as well uh, Raise your hand and uh, hopefully Titus will bring them around Uh, Titus go grab the pen or Abby go grab the pens and bring them up the center aisle I printed them and left them in the printer and I apologize for that. I am flaky and disorganized It is a part of who I am It is a wonderful blessing that God has given me in life that I get to be humbled by my own self. Um, let's uh, pray real quick for the uh, message and bring our minds and our hearts into a place where we're uh, hearing your word, and, and then we will uh, dive into our text for today. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I pray that uh, you would help me, to, uh, help me to unpack your text, help me to unpack your word, help me to bring out your, your gospel, Lord. Help me to, to show folks Jesus in the text we have today. Um, I pray for your wisdom, for your inspiration, for your spirit to speak through me, despite me, and that I wouldn't get in the way of that. And I pray that folks would hear from you today, that they would know you more by hearing the gospel, that, that they would know you more and, and be drawn closer together through, um, through the word, uh, in Jesus name, I pray. Amen. So, uh, last week we were, uh, in Acts and we staying and we are staying in Acts uh, there is a fun new direction this text is going to take, uh, which there's a bit of irony here. I always try to think of funny stories from my past or things I've read or whatever. And in the end, the only funny thing I can point to is the irony of last week's message and this, week, this week's message like being connected together. Because last week, like, I, I feel like I hammered as hard as I could on the need to put each other's needs Above our own, to look at each other as more important than ourselves, to raise each other up in in an effort to know Christ better, like to to help people grow spiritually, to not cause each other to stumble, like all of that stuff. everybody rem- remembers that right because everyone who wasn't here at least watched it online or listened to the podcast <laughs> t j um so this week we're going to talk about conflict. <laughs> And I, I uh, did not plan it this way. Uh, but, I mean, last week we really, you know, I, Brooke actually said this once. Um, and, and I'm only thinking about it because Rebecca brought up the situation that he said it in relation to uh, in Sunday school this morning. Uh, Brooke once said to an individual in this church, if you read all of Paul's letters, the one thing he says more than anything else in every letter he writes he emphasizes the unity of the church and harmony within the body. It is number one with a bullet. Everybody, are we aware of that? Like we're not supposed to fight each other. We're not supposed to hate each other. We're not supposed to gossip about each other or tear each other down. We are supposed to, like as Jesus said, you will, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another, right? And that is powerful. And so as we dive into the text this week, Paul has a conflict with Barnabas. And the main idea here is that, like, and and listen to me, because this is a big deal. Conflict is going to happen. Disagreement is going to happen, right? I, we're going to disagree on how to do things. We are going to disagree on the right approach for things. We are sometimes going to get our feelings hurt, right? Um, it is just a part of the equation. Uh, conflicts that arise in the church over how to do the work are the ones we're going to focus on because those are the ones that are legitimate, right? And I'm not saying that somebody said something to me that hurt my feelings isn't legitimate. Those are things that we manage through love, right? But there are times where there are things that are about function and about how to and about the approach that we cannot fix. And actually, doctrine's going to come into there, too. Um, there's a very famous story about uh, George Whitefield and the Wesley brothers, right? George Whitefield was the great voice of the First Great Awakening, and the Wesley brothers were the driving force behind the Second Great Awakening. And they got together, and they discussed predestination. <laughs> and they argued, and hashed, and fought. And when they walked away from each other, they did not agree But it is said that the Wesley brothers wept openly when they concluded their meetings because they could not figure out how to be in harmony over it. Because they loved their brother so much and were so inspired by the work he did and by him as a towering figure of the faith that they could not come to a place where they agreed. It was something that brought them to heartache. And I, I think that is the watchword for this particular sermon, right? When we cannot come to harmony, heartache... And like mourning needs to be associated with it. Um, that is not the same thing as anger. It is not the same thing as bitterness. It is not the same thing as walking away because somebody hurt my feelings. I, I plan on dying here. Like I'm going to die in Big Sandy. That is my goal in life. Right? Please do not move me along sooner. I don't plan on doing it next week. I want to live here until time 142. A huge burden on my family. And then I want to die with so many books that they don't know what to do with, like, my estate. That is my goal. Um, But every once in a while, somebody will do something rotten to me, and it will hurt my feelings bad, and I will go home hurt, and I will put my resume on the Internet and then take it down about an hour later. And my wife is like, what? You do that? I'm like, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just mad. And sometimes you do stuff when you're mad, right? I'm not leaving. No gossip, no rumor, no nothing. I'm dying here. You're stuck with me. I bought a house. Um, But in the end, what I do in those moments is I back up and I say, I really need to love these people because I love them. And I need to let this go, and I need to be in unity with them. Because if I walk away because you hurt my feelings, I fail. I fail to be like Jesus, right? Right? I fail to reconcile. I fail to make it right. And that is a failure of the body. But our big idea here, we are going to make it our primary focus in this message to talk about disagreement over the work of ministry and how the work of ministry has to remain the focus. Not the conflict. Not the disagreement. Not this. Not that. Not predestination. Please not predestination. Not any of this other nonsense. Being the body of Christ needs to be the focus. It is everything that we are. And when we lose sight of that, we're a social club. We fail to be something better. So, diving in, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing now sometime later is a very vague statement Um, this comes at the tail end of a previous thing like where the council of Jerusalem and the letter that sort of unified the church all together remember that Uh, and like the two representatives that came down one of them was Silas and explained and honored the congregation there and raised them up at a certain level and treated them with a great deal of Of love and respect which was a huge deal emphasizes this unity of the body thing and so now Paul and Barnabas are in this spot where they're like let's go do this they agree it's something to do now let's be clear here they agree this is what they're going to do and this is an important thing to do Um, they have been friends for many years at this point um, but they're about to have a disagreement they are about to come into sharp conflict um, and I want to kind of draw out a point here. The disagreement between them was regarding the best way of going about doing this. Everybody with me? What is the best way to visit the churches? Who is our team? What is our thing? What are we going to do? Now, there are folks who will always disagree. We might disagree about outreach events and whether or not a church should do a certain outreach event in October or not. We might disagree about um, the length of the service. We might disagree about, you know, how we should dress or whatever. Like these things that we say, it is a better ministry choice to do this. It is a better, stream, better ministry choice to do that. We can have disagreements on method. And that is okay. And that is what is about to happen. There is a temptation among scholars to make this about something else. And those elements might play into it. And we're going to talk about that. But let's keep going. Barnabas wanted to take John. Now, if you recall, Johnibus, or <laughs> as they would be known once they partnered up, Johnabas. John was also called Mark Mark John Mark remember when Paul escaped from prison way way back when he went to the home of John Mark right and he or it was Peter excuse me he was outside of this place and he's like let me in let me in they're out to get me and they're like no it's just a ghost ignore him which is a weird thing to say anyway um, but like like that was that guy's house he is Barnabas's cousin And Barnabas looks at John Mark and said, well, he came with us on the first missionary journey. He was was with us in Crete. He knew people there. He participated in the ministry. But now this is a little bit of a a rehash, right, in previous episode. um, John Mark abandoned them in the field. They were traveling up cross country through a kind of swampy area. And one of the theories is there's a lot of theories about why John Mark quit. John Mark may have quit because he got malaria, they say, because they were going through this low land and he got sick or because the road was difficult. And He's like, forget this. I'm going home where it's comfortable. He Might have gotten afraid because of the persecution they had suffered. He might have looked at the conversion of Gentiles, had it stick in his craw and abandoned them over it. Right? And that's a running theory because of the very first thing, like the only thing we know is John Mark goes back, he goes to Antioch, he goes back to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden there are people from Jerusalem and Antioch making trouble. Right? And so some scholars say John Mark didn't like the Gentiles, so he made trouble. That's all guessing, right? What we know is he quit and went home. So, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him. Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, we do not know anything beyond that. The stated reason Luke gives us is he deserted them. That's interesting, right? Because this is a moment in the story where I sort of want to stop and say, Whoa, 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 Luke. Fill in some details. I mean, right? Like, first off, you jumped over when this happened. Second, you didn't tell us about, like, the argument. You didn't tell us about their various points. We don't even know why John Mark walked away. By the way, John Mark, the name Mark might stand out to you because Mark wrote Mark. What? He's not a minor character. Now, there are a couple of things at play in here, too. Real quick. Paul is intense, and that might be a part of the deal. Barnabas is John Mark's cousin, and that might be part of the reason he wants to take him. But Barnabas, in all of his dealings with Paul previously, saw Paul where everybody else looked and said, Man, that guy's a headache. I don't want to deal with him. You know what I mean? Anybody ever know someone like that? Don't point, especially at me. But that guy's a headache. I don't want to deal with him. Barnabas looked at him and said, You know what I think, that Paul guy? I think he's got something going for him. And so Paul took him, or Barnabas took him to Jerusalem and brought him into the disciples, right? Like So Paul was an outsider, and Barnabas introduced him. Barnabas saved Paul by shoving him on a boat and shipping him home when they were trying to murder him. Barnabas had a role, and then Barnabas brings him back when he's ministering in Antioch, and he's like, there's too much to do here. That Paul guy, I think he is the one I need. And he goes and he finds him in Greece and brings him back and brings him into the ministry. Right And then goes with him on their first missionary journey. Barnabas is an important figure in Paul's life because Barnabas is the guy who looks at him and says, "You are a problem child, but I'm going to make you my problem, child." Right? This is fulfilling one of the basic elements of the Great Commission. We like working with people who are easy. Amen. People who are a headache, we don't like working with. The Great Commission says we make disciples. I'm wagging my finger at y'all. I'm sorry. I just realized I was doing that. I'm pointing at myself more than anything else because I know I am often this guy. I look at people, and oftentimes I'm the problem child. My friend Denver, who has influenced my spiritual life so much, the first time I met him, he invited me over for dinner. I went and had dinner with him, and when my wife and I left, he turned to his wife and he said, I hope those people never come back to our church. I do not want to deal with that guy. I do not want to deal with him. And he was stuck with me. I think positively in the end. Now, so Barnabas is that guy. And he's fulfilling the great commissions. He is making disciples. That is our job. When you see somebody who is struggling and screwing up, sometimes what they need is somebody to walk next to them for a little while and help them stand upright. Right? Sometimes... Sometimes believers just need somebody to be friends with them and to, like, help them grow. And by the way, I don't mean help them grow like make them into a project, right, because, like, we like project people. It's not that. It is let's be together, let's be brothers, and we will grow together because it's a truth that the people we associate with change us. They make us grow. There's a weird statistic. If you want to be overweight, the people you should hang out with should be overweight. If you want to read more books, you should hang out with people who read more books because generally we become like the people we associate with. Like, and it's not intentional. It just is. Um... I I it's one of those things so when the church comes together we become more mature and like if you are more mature and you associate with somebody who is growing in their faith you give them opportunity to grow you might even kindle in them a desire to grow but they're a headache but you were too. you were God's headache once upon a time right and if you weren't you are better than me so they argue about it they disagree now, this is where theologians jump up, and they say, well, wait a minute. What if this was a part of the problem? We're going to jump over to Galatians 2. Galatia is like Antioch, excuse me, and up into like all the churches that that Paul evangelized and planted earlier in the book on the first missionary journey. That's all Galatia, right? Except for the last one is outside of Galatia because Paul went there to get away from Galatia because they were trying to kill him. Um, <laughs> It was right on the border. Uh, when, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Hopefully a little bigger there. I forgot my glasses. We who are Jews by birth are not sinful Gentiles um, and are not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because of the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also amongst the sinners, Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. There's a little more Galatians than was necessary, but I like the text. I'm sorry. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now there's a double edged sword here as to why I included this. Um, I like that text, but also that last part plays in. Watch this. So. Somewhere in the mix, they're not exactly sure when. There's a whole crazy timeline argument about if it was after the Council of Jerusalem, if it was before, if it was here, if it was there. I'm going to suggest after the Council of Jerusalem, Peter, who lives in Antioch at this point, is there and like he just separated himself. He saw what the other guys are doing. He's like, oh, wow, I don't want to look uncool in front of the circumcision guys. Let's stand back and not do that. I mean, sometimes there's a temptation to do that. Do you guys ever feel uncomfortable in front of some people because you want to look cool? No, probably not. I I remember there are times in my walk with Jesus where I did things that I I changed how I was behaving because I didn't want to look uncool, and that was a failure on my part. And what Peter was doing was he stopped associating with the Gentiles, and they had this big fight about it before at the Council of Jerusalem, and now Peter's doing it again, Until Paul walks up to him in front of everyone and says, Peter, knock it off. You're acting like you're going to be righteous in the law. Stop it. Stop trying to force the law on the Gentiles. Stop trying to do this. Stop trying to do that. Cut it out. In that culture, this would have been a whole degree of offensive, right? Because Peter's like, the rock. He is the guy at the top of the stack probably for this church. He is the guy who knew Jesus. Paul is a a low-down guy who's kind of come out of nowhere. And for him to call him out publicly is an honor thing. Like it would have been offensive. It would have been hurtful. But he did it, I believe, because everybody needed to hear it. The scriptures do teach we're to call people aside when we see them in sin and talk to them individually because we want to bring them to repentance and we want to make it as easy as possible. In this instance, I think he did it because the Gentiles needed to see someone's on our team, right? This is a little like in James where poor people were told, hey, you guys sit on the floor because you're not really as important as these rich guys, right? You got to reprimand that in front of folks because – The poor people need to know they're not trash. Like the people who are not as acceptable, the people who used to be, you know, drunks or whatever, like they need to know that they are redeemed and equal in Christ. And I think that's why he did it. But one of the theories is that Barnabas was also hurt and he held it against Peter. Right? That seems reasonable because he would have been humiliated publicly. You know what doesn't get mentioned in the book? Any of that stuff. You know why? Why? Because the only thing that matters is that this was a conflict over method. Well, what about the interpersonal stuff? If interpersonal stuff, if your stuff gets in the way of harmony in the body, we got to figure it out. We cannot separate over, this hurt my feelings. I feel less. We have to figure it out. Right? We sometimes may need to push people out of the body for that. I knew a lady who would treat people nasty and horrible, And humiliate them in public and do things like that as a part of her participation in the church. And eventually the church kind of had to come back and say, look, if you're going to keep doing this, you can't come here. And she stopped coming. She had already been banned from the PTA and the Little League and a bunch of other places. She figured she'd spread her joy to the church. By the way, I'm not – we weren't that awful. It was a, hey, please, don't talk down to people. Don't yell at people. Don't cuss at people. Don't do this stuff. This isn't the way it is. Um, And so, like – the reason I'm bringing it up is because, as Paul says in this last little section, everything is about Christ. Everything is about me crucified in Christ, brought to life as something new, and Christ living in me. If Christ is living in me, I cannot look at the church around me and say, I don't like how Rebecca sings. I'm not coming back. Right? I picked her because she's the obvious one. Rebecca sings awesome. Nobody dislikes how she sings. Right? So the conflict may have been more complicated relating to much more like specifically to the freedom of the Gentiles and offense and who's higher on the pecking order. But Luke only recorded this because this is the important thing. This is the important thing for us to know. God is no respecter of persons. Like we are to be the body together. We are to love each other. We're to take care of each other. And method is not a dividing point. They had a sharp, such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas. Does Silas sound familiar? He's the guy who came down from Jerusalem to translate the letter for the church there. Right? This is what's going on, guys. I'm here to honor you and explain stuff. And then he went back to Jerusalem, and at some point in time, he came back to um, Antioch, and uh, they went out, right? So... Uh, But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, watch this. Barnabas did not take his ball and go home. Right? He didn't say, well, forget this, I'm staying here. Forget this, I'm going back to Jerusalem. Forget this, I'm going to go whatever. They divided the territory and covered it anyway right and they did it in such a way that John Mark who abandoned when they were in Greece went to the place where he was successful and Barnabas took him that's kind of awesome isn't it like it's kind of awesome because if i disagree with how we do music and i say well forget this i'm going to not come here anymore because it's got to be my way or no way like i will break fellowship with you over not having an electric guitar in the service we either going to have guitar solos or not And I'm not going to be here if we're not. That would be nonsense, right? People have broken fellowship over less. But in the end, this was not broken fellowship, I hate you. This was, all right, well, how do we figure out how to work? You take him where he's been successful. You go do that, but I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to spread the gospel over there. And that's what they did. We rarely think of churches this way. We rarely think of churches as a team because we consume them. This church doesn't meet my needs. It's clearly broken. I need to go to one who is going to dot, dot, dot. Right? The children's programming is awful here. It is not. It is amazing. But I've heard people say it. There needs to be better children's programming, to which Rebecca would ask in Sunday school this morning, why aren't you helping it be better? If the Holy Spirit puts a need on your heart, See you see a need for different teaching or for this or for that and you don't do it You're ignoring the spirit because you need to consume the church It needs to serve you just like christ came to be served No, wait, that's not right he, the son of man came not to be served but to serve To wash his disciples feet To carry our sins on the cross And so it is with us. If Paul's words in Galatians are accurate, that Christ lives in me, that I am crucified in Christ, old self died, raised again with Christ living in me, then I need to do that. I need to have the same attitude as Christ. I need to follow that. Now, here's the twist, by the way, in the book of Colossians. This is chapter 4, verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, Aristarchus, sends you his greeting As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. This is not the only spot where Mark is mentioned again. There are a few. The point being, Mark went on to serve with Peter. And like the gospel of Mark is Peter's account of the gospel. Like, it's Peter's words. He was like Peter's assistant for a while. And he made like Peter's preaching notes, which is the gospel of Mark. We have one of the oldest gospels. Some people say the oldest. I don't agree. Whatever, it doesn't matter that much. But we have one of the oldest gospels, and actually the one that we have fragments of that are oldest, because of Mark. We have a guy who serves Paul later, because Paul didn't say, I hate you, you're no good. He says, you know what? I'm ready to work with you again, you've proven yourself. You're you're fit for this. A disagreement over method, over approach, over style, over preference, over mechanics is not a reason to break faith. It's not a reason to break communion. It is not a reason that someone is an enemy. Now watch this. It's a big deal right now because we live in a culture where if you don't agree with me, you're my enemy. Isn't it true? And we pretend everyone has a bad motive if they don't agree with me, right? Well, you don't want to do this because you hate poor people or you hate minorities or you hate this or because you're a communist or because you're that. Like we make it the worst thing possible. And a lot of times other folks, they just have good hearts and they are, you know, good intentions. Nobody has a good heart. We're all sinful. I'm sorry. That was heresy. Um, (laughs) We have, I mean, people around us might have good intentions, but just be wrong. Or just have a different approach as to how they're trying to solve it. Not everybody is Hitler. Right? I mean, unless you read social media and then everybody's Hitler who isn't me. Um, The church can't be like that. The church cannot hate each other. We cannot demonize just because we disagree. Can't do it. We have to be the body of Christ. We have to be able to come back together and work together and serve Christ. The most important thing, ultimately, both proved correct. Because that's an interesting thing. Like a lot of commentators will say, hey, look, Mark or Luke doesn't really tell us who was wrong. You know why? Because neither of them were. They were both right. Because the Great Commission was fulfilled. Paul went out and evangelized. Barnabas made a disciple. Paul's emphasis was always on reaching the lost Gentiles. Barnabas clearly had an inclination toward raising men up. And that's what he did. Not just men, problem children. So what are our important concepts? What's behind all of this? Conflict over approach and how we accomplish the work of the gospel is going to be natural in any human organization. I think that is why we are told that one body, many parts, nose, ears, hands, feet, right? My nose disagrees with my feet very often. It's just the truth, right? Right? Do not like how you do things, and you are gross. Leave me alone. But each has its own role and approach and everything else. And we figure out how to work as the body, or we divide Christ. We cannot divide Christ. So regardless of the issue, the work of the gospel um, is the most important thing. And by the way, the work of the gospel, um, if we look at the Great Commission, it is Go into all the world, share the gospel, make disciples. And then Paul would add to that, build each other up in Christ, which is a part of making disciples. And then ultimately our purpose, the chief end of man, is to glorify God. And so if we are not glorifying God, it's personal. If we're trying to win our way and Christ is not glorified, we're sinning. It's a big, ugly word, right? But it's true. If I'm not glorifying Christ in my victory, I want a victory for me, not for Him. So, how do we apply this? So, first off, the scriptures will, like give us guidelines for managing conflict. Um, they help us diffuse like interpersonal disagreements. They help us deal with matters of sin. They help us to manage that stuff. First and foremost, we have to bring that to the table. All the time. Right? So if so-and-so hurt my feelings or so-and-so shouldn't go to this church because they're a hypocrite or so-and-so, like, there are all sorts of things the scriptures give us. Like, first off, look in the mirror and see if you have a log before you pull out sawdust. Ooh. No, I don't have any sawdust or logs. I know. Or go to them privately. Or speak the truth in Love. Paul says that if you bring someone back from sin, that you have won a soul for eternity and that that glorifies God, that that is a blessing. But we oftentimes don't look at that. We look at somebody with sin and what do we want to do? Burn him, right? I should have said burn her. Trying to get a reaction out of TJ who's distracted or not distracted. and I'm just trying to distract him. Um, Second, we must always apply wisdom when differentiating the matter of like method and moral, right? And I'll tell you, there's a key here. If your emotions become quickly stirred and there is a whole lot of stuff to be said about you in relation to the situation, probably not a matter of method, right? I have done Sunday school here for 35 years. Nobody has, so that's why I'm saying it. 35 years, how dare you, blah, 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 right? Right? We don't use flannel flannel graphs in church. It's not a church I'll go to. Why? So always bring wisdom to the equation. If you have a problem with someone, if somebody hurts your feelings, if somebody like creates problems for you, bring wisdom and apply the scriptures. Otherwise, you're not you're not in harmony here. Like you're not preserving the gospel, you're not preserving the body. Then you can ask yourself: Is this bringing glory to Jesus, building the church, and helping advance the gospel, or is it tearing down the body, bringing shame to Christ, and damaging the gospel? How many of the, like how many of y'all? And I'm I'm serious. I, it never occurred to me like to ask this until this morning. So I am in that spot. Like how many of y'all ask that question when you got a problem with someone? Never. Not me is this bringing about the Great Commission. And then the last thing is the gossip test. This is another thing that came to me this morning. I made it up. If it's nonsense, let me know. But we live in a town that loves to gossip, right? If it is not interesting enough to gossip about, that's a good sign that it's okay, right? What do we gossip about? You know what so-and-so said? You know what so-and-so did? You know what so-and-so is trying to do? You know how greedy and vicious? You know what he's thinking. You know what? And if it's salacious and fun and we get to gather around and be like jackals tearing apart our brother or sister, that's the gossip test. And that's a sign that it's not glorifying Christ. It's not building the body. It is not not a Jesus. Because nobody argues salaciously over theology right? Can you believe that Eric believes in like grace by faith, that we're saved by Jesus just by changing our hearts and choosing to follow Jesus? How dare he? Nobody does that, right? Eric is using the NIV this morning. Nothing, right? Nobody cares. Try gossiping about that with somebody else. Eric uses the ESV sometimes. Nobody, nobody cares. Nobody, You know, I hear so-and-so, I hear Eric was once, was originally baptized by sprinkling before being dunked. Maybe he doesn't really believe in baptism the way we do. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to sign on to that, right? Because sin is what really ignites gossip. Selfishness and bitterness. Again, it's why politics, we never say, so-and-so will make the country better, but I don't agree with how they're going to do it. And I think we should do it this way. So-and-so is a good guy, but he's wrong. Nope. We call names and we attack. The body of Christ should not be like that. So my challenge to you today, I'm at 34 minutes, by the way. Nobody cares. But if you catch yourself gossiping, can you believe how long Eric talked? That's salacious. My challenge to you today as you walk out the door today is to ask Do I look like Jesus when I manage my feelings in relation to the people around me? When I manage my anger? When I manage my frustration? When I... Sometimes it's Do I look like Jesus when I give in when I shouldn't? Right? Because some people do that. I do stuff because I feel guilty if I don't. That is not a Jesus thing, guys. Oh my gosh! But it's the truth. We serve Christ because we love him. We imitate Christ in relation to each other. We're supposed to love each other. There's a great line that is often quoted, I love your Jesus, but I hate other Christians. To which I would reply, nobody hates Christians more than other Christians. And if you find yourself one who is tearing up your brothers, it's not right. It is not of Jesus. And so examine your heart, examine your words, examine your gossip, examine your conflicts. And if you have conflict, make harmony happen. If you have old resentment, bury it. Nail it to the cross, lay it at the foot of the cross. Forgive, forget, ask for forgiveness. Do whatever it is you have to do because being right with Jesus and being like Jesus is more important than anything else in the entire world. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us as a body. I pray that, um, though I say too many words sometimes, uh, and sometimes the confusion of that or, or the boredom of it, like I pray that you would speak through it. I pray that folks who are here who had their feet trod on would step back and say, my feet are sore today, but it means I need to be like Jesus more. It means i got to make it right where I haven't. I pray that folks who are here and, and were convicted would come to know you better. And most of all, I pray that we as a body would look like Christ, that we would talk like Christ, that we would season our words with salt, and that we would, be known, we would be known as your followers because of the way we love each other and the way we serve each other and the world. In Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Have a good morning, folks.